to episode 161 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we grab our horses and jousting poles for a review of Ridley Scott's medieval epic, The Last Duel. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm doing pretty well. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> we were getting on to record this, and I was like, you know, you can start whenever you want, Scott. Just go ahead. And you were just like, no, 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 you gotta go live. And I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I haven't done this in a while. I mean, I know we, we did record last week, but... We had taken a couple weeks off, so I feel like I'm still getting back in the groove of things. After my marathon two weeks at the film festival, I actually haven't seen a movie before literally just now because I'm coming in hot off this last dual screening that I shot. I hadn't seen a movie in a, in a bit because I'd gone into the woods over the weekend to, with my with my girlfriend celebrating our second anniversary, and we binge-watched Ted Lasso. Into the woods. Yeah, oh, into the nice. woods yeah, exactly and we, and we binge watched season two of ted lasso so i have been watching stuff but haven't been watching movies and i was sitting back down in the theater tonight and i was like yeah we're back in the theater again here we go um and then tom cruise out here back to the movies yeah and as fitting a ridley scott film which we will be talking about momentarily very old man white man walks in right at the end of the uh, commercials rolls up sits down in his chair sits down in his seat Similar to the story you told me, right next to a guy a couple rows in front of me. Doesn't seem like there's any reason why he was sitting right next to this guy, but decides to sit right next to this guy and proceeds to mistakenly or on purpose, who can really say for sure, turn his flashlight on on his phone and left it on for several minutes. <laughs> I don't know. If who among us, though? Who, who among us has not done this? Um, you know, I everyone's done it. Everyone's done that. It's, it, it is, it's a finicky feature on the iPhone for mm-hmm. sure. I wonder if it was on purpose or not because in spite of the guy sitting next to him telling him repeatedly to turn the flashlight off he didn't quite seem to understand how to do that so so, or he was trolling unclear which it was well i hope i don't have to break out the flashlight on friday night when i go to see dune because i have heard that there are parts of the movie that are quite dark um like visually dark (laughs) you know that that wasn't too i'm sure that that wasn't my experience seeing the film for, for the first time although I mean, look, there's a couple scenes at night. I'm not going to lie. Like, that, like that's there's scenes at night. But I think that, yeah. the, Scott, you're going to have movies aren't allowed. To, movies aren't allowed to have scenes at night. Anymore, yeah. Tell, that, tell that to Little Women, Scott. I think there's a few scenes at night in that movie. <laughs> I, I, I do. I think that you'll have less trouble seeing the film and maybe a little more trouble hearing some of the lines. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where you shake out on on, on all that, I guess. Uh, in less. No, in a week and almost exactly a week. Yeah, and I'm seeing an IMAX too, which I don't normally go to IMAX, so I'm not super adjusted, I guess, to the surround sound, whatever, you know, yeah. Dolby that they have in there. So um, that might be an extra, a lot to deal with. Although I think I did see, I did see Tenet in IMAX, I'm pretty sure. So that will probably be a sim- yeah, 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 probably a similar experience um, sound wise, maybe to what yeah, I, they, I mean, look, there. Dune is doing something sonically very different than. Tenet and I mean frankly any other movie that I've seen this year and for a while I think some of those things are really effective 
And I think some of those things are really effective, but also sometimes difficult to immediately understand what people are saying. Not that that's intentional that you don't understand what they're saying, but like the, again, like the sonic feature of it is certainly intentional um, and supposed to, you know, take you aback, if that's the yeah. way to phrase it. All right. Well, we'll save the rest of our uh, our Dune chat for for next week's episode. Dune facts. Uh, but let's get to our movie for today. As mentioned, uh, we were two of the around 200 people, it seems, who actually went to the theaters to see The Last Duel in the past few days. Uh, and now we have a review for the uh, 198 other people who saw it. Um, the Last Duel is the first of two films to be released this year from decorated director Ridley Scott. And it's a thunderous medieval epic of knights, ladies, and unspeakable crimes. Co-writer Matt Damon stars as Jean de Carouge, an impulsive squire who is married to the beautiful Marguerite, played by Jodie Comer. After returning from a victorious campaign in Scotland, Jean is shocked when his wife makes a stunning accusation that she was raped by Jean's former friend, Jacques Legree, play, played by Adam Driver. Jacques is the right-hand man of the local Lord Pierre, played by Ben Affleck, and a prideful womanizer who doesn't believe that he's done anything wrong, but denies the allegation at Pierre's request. Nevertheless, though his motives may be unclear at best, Jean is determined to see his wife ac wife's accusation credited, and eventually that leads the two men to the titular event, a brutal battle to the death in which God is said to answer the question of who is telling the truth. Simultaneously, at the center of and sideline from the movie's central conflict, Marguerite refuses to back down from her accusation, even at the potential cost of her life. And in Scott's Rashomon-esque narrative, it is her perspective which anchors the film. But Scott, does this sprawling, often anachronistic film earn the weight that its subject matter carries, or is this a misguided bore that does more harm than good? Yeah, you know, this is something that, you know, I was really thinking a lot about, frankly, as I walked at my 15 to 20 minute walk home from from the theater from seeing this. And as of right now, granted, this is I'm not going to say I have any hot takes about this movie because I don't think I have any hot takes about it. But these are very fresh takes. And so I wonder if by the end of this episode, they'll have evolved from where they're starting right now. But I think it's I think I'm a bit conflicted about this movie, to be honest. I think it's a little of option one and a little of option two from what you laid out here. I think that parts of this film might be a little misguided, to be honest. I also think that this film is extremely well made. And for the story that's being told, I think for the most part, it if, if there is such a thing, it, it does get it right, or it does do it justice, um, or as much justice as probably can be done with the subject matter. And I guess I'll, I'll break that down a little bit more as we go along into spoilers, especially, but if that is a real thing for this movie, I'm not even sure. I mean, I guess there are spoilers for this movie. Um, but yeah, I just, I found the first half of this movie, the first two chapters, if you will, um, of the film to be very meh for me. I, I found the filmmaking to be really good. The performances from Damon and Driver, who are the main characters in the first two chapters, for sure. Uh, I, I found them to be just sort of like, okay, I, you know, I think I feel like we've all seen this before type thing. There is these nuanced differences in the stories because um, chapter one is is Matt Damon's character's perspective and chapter two is Adam Driver's character's perspective. And there are differences, subtle, some subtle, some not so subtle in their perspectives. And I found that to be, that you know, a style of the structure that made me wonder if I was going to have to watch this story a few too many times 
uh, to get the point across. I think it's done well enough in the first half to keep you interested, if 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 not fully compelled for me. Um, but I think the second half of this film is really, really well done. I think the second half of this movie really takes off in terms of how compelling I felt the performances and the narrative itself was. And I found that sort of the the wedding of this idea of Ridley Scott's filmmaking ability, which I think, frankly, is remarkable how well he's able to craft some of these scenes. And especially that, you know, the titular last duel, I found that to be simultaneously sort of just completely engrossing as a spectacle, but also revolting in the same right thematically, which I think is entirely intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I found I found myself feeling a little bit conflicted. And I think this movie makes makes a, a, a big mistake in, in one's in one part um, in some of the choices it makes. And I think it becomes a little bit gratuitous. Not in its vi- not in its you know the la- not in its titular last duel, but in other parts, I found it to be a little bit gratuitous, and we can talk about maybe that in more detail later on. But I think you can, Scott, you probably know what I'm talking about, um, or at least you can use yeah, your imagination. I, I don't necessarily agree, but we can get into that. Yeah, sure, okay. Um, I mean, you don't really know my opinion yet. What exactly what I found gratuitous about it, but we'll see. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I know what part you're referring to. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess I, I don't know your. Yeah, that's not. I don't think what part I'm referring to is is particularly subtle if you've seen yeah probably not hard to guess yeah um but look i i think the performances are good bordering on great um i think the filmmaking craft is remarkable i think that the premise of the film and the story itself being told although ultimately delivered in a tasteful way um isn't perfect because it can't be perfect and may also be a little bit misguided. Like, I'm just not sure we need to have this movie. Not that I need to tell Ridley Scott what he can and can't make and what or what Affleck, Damon and Nicole Hall of Center can or can't write. Um, I'm just not sure that that this is a story that ultimately need to be told. But it was told. And I thought it was told maybe the best it could have been in, in, in many in many real way in many ways. Yeah, I mean, when we first heard about this movie, I know there were some concerns that, you know, both of us expressed about the subject matter of the movie and was this going to be handled responsibly? Um, And the thing I kept coming back to the whole time was, well, we got Nicole Hoffson writing this, right? Like, I I feel like that is a reason to believe that this is going to do justice. Co-writing, of course, yeah. Yeah. that this is going to do justice to the subject matter. To be fair, I don't think we were being fair to Ridley Scott, who has given us some very memorable female characters in film history. Um, If you think about Ellen Ripley, if you think about Thelma and Louise, right, the first movie for which a female screenwriter won the Academy Award. So he has a good history with working with females in front of the the screen in terms of female characters and, you know, behind the scenes again, Nicole Hoffson are here. And um, Mm -hmm. I forget what the name of the screenwriter was on Thelma and Louise who won that Oscar, but you know, that was all the way back in the early nineties. But um, anyway, and, and I think that my, our trust or my trust at least was rewarded with the film because I do think the movie's excellent. Um, I I really do. This is one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Um, and I do think it it gets it right, but I think Hall of Sinners' uh, contribution, which from what I understand is mainly writing the third section of the movie that you're talking about, right? The the section that is told from Margaret. The female voice. The female voice. In the exactly. Movie. Yeah. And I think the movie obviously really needed that. While I was engaged the whole time, I do hear what you're saying about 
the first two parts may be feeling like, oh, like I get it. I see what they're going for here, right? Like these two guys have a very different perspective on what happens. But I think you just appreciate everything, including the first two parts, so much more when you see that third part and you realize how nuanced certain things actually were. Like there, I was just really surprised at the level of nuance in the movie and how subtle some of the choices made are just in particular, like even in the, like the whole rape scene itself and the, you know, the events leading up to that, what happens like at the house, there are just very, very subtle differences yeah. between, the, you know, Adam driver's story and, uh, Jody Comer's story. Sometimes it's just the perspective that we see it from, right? Other times it's like, like how did her shoes come off? Right? Like little, little things like that, which, um, you know, some people, you may not even notice, but like actually make a big difference. And I think just speak to what the movie is trying to say about, you know, authorship in general, right. And, you know, the way that, I mean, authorship is not the right word, but the storytelling and the way that, um, that these people tell this story that, you know, these people remember the story, but also just like filmmaking in general, the way that we tell stories. Um, so I, I think that stuff was really, um, interesting to me. And, um, I don't think the one part was gratuitous just because I think the perspective shift makes it, um, makes it take on new layers, I guess. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that. We well, can get I into mean, that look, I, I don't mind just going ahead and talking about it. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I we're talking about the, the rape scene. Yeah. Like that, yeah. the showing of the actual rape, which is seen in both Adam driver's narrative and in Jody Comer's. I, I just frankly don't think you need it twice. I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty gratuitous to show a woman getting raped twice in the same movie, like the same scene. I know it's from two different perspectives. You're, you can say you're adding nuance. To just show the second part then you don't need to show the first part then that that's just my opinion i feel i feel like pretty strongly about it to be honest i had i've had a similar problem in the past although slightly different new i mean it's a slightly different character and a slightly different type of scene but i feel the same way about things like gone girl things like that when when you just go over the top with these types of things and frankly i think that these scenes are over the top and there's nothing wrong with a scene being over the top there's nothing inherently wrong with that i just think when you see it twice it's upsetting, and I and I think that of course it's upsetting on purpose. If it wasn't upsetting, there would be something wrong with the scene. I think that said, I don't think you need it twice. I think it's gratuitous. I think you can leave a lot to be implied um, the first time you're going through that from Adam Driver's perspective, and then I can I think you can get the real effect of it in the third part. I don't know if I don't know if seeing it the first time adds anything to the narrative. Frankly, and I'm talking like you can see them chase up the stairs. You can do all the other parts that, that you're referencing before it happens. I just think that they didn't need to show the actual act itself multiple times. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I just feel like it's not. I just feel like it's really not necessary. Yeah, to do that. And I think I think it's I mean, misguided to do it. It's obviously upsetting. I don't know. I think the first time you see it, it's contextualized different, right? Because you do get all of that stuff that happens before it. And in particular, the way that they're chasing each other around the or he's chasing her around the bedroom itself, right? It plays out like the blocking and everything in that scene is like exactly like a scene that we see earlier with Jacques yeah. where he's with another woman mm -hmm. and it's, but it's more playful. All right. Again, it's, this is all his perspective, right? So he's seeing it in the, the past, you know, the, this sure. past incident as being more playful, but it's setting us up for, Hey, he has a tendency to just like, 
not really know when to take no for an answer, right? Um, or to to see no I mean, the, as the, like the first time, sure. But again, like, do you do you need the first shi- showing of the actual, you know, rape itself to get it, to get more out of the second time? I'm I'm not sure. I think that you you get plenty of implication from that earlier scene that you're alluding to with, you know, with Ben Affleck's, you know, Pierre or whatever in the in the room and whatnot. And that that scene at the party, I think you get plenty of implication from that. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Again, I think the perspective, the perspective change does mean something to me because, you know, the first time we're seeing it mainly from Adam Driver's perspective, whereas the second time we're really, uh, you know, it's a real close up on Jodie Comer's face as it, ha- it is happening. Um, Again, like, I'm just not sure what you what you get from that. Like, what do you really get from that? Like, oh, it's it's a horrible thing that's happening to Jodie Comer and Adam Driver was enjoying it. Like, I, I don't know. Is that really worth it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to probably take another look at it. But in the moment, I did feel as if, you know, something was was being added by like, I I just felt differently, I guess, when I was watching it the second time than I did the first time. Like, I I felt. I mean, obviously, it's repulsive both times, but I don't know. I just felt like the sheer terror more the second time. Um, I'm just curious if if you need the first time to feel that terror. I guess that's that's what I'm asking. I'm not challenging the way that you're feeling about it, Mm -hmm. because I think that we are. We probably feel similarly about it, right? Mm-hmm. I just wonder if you need it. And when you're showing like that, I mean, look, we're two white guys. Not to say that we haven't had our own set of experiences and whatnot, but like th- this is a particular type of violence against women that I mean, it, it is incredibly violent. It's very visceral. It stirs up a lot of emotions. And I'm and I'm not saying that they need to strip that level of violence out of the film, but I think that they need to. I think that they could have been more thoughtful about how they how they show it and wouldn't have taken that much away from the movie itself. Just my opinion. I might be on an island there, but that's just my thoughts. But in general, I think that the movie does do justice to a subject matter and it's very refreshing. You know, we had a movie last year that was much talked about. That was, you know, a rape revenge style film um, in which the, the ending of the movie was, in my opinion, wrongfully presented as cathartic when there should be nothing cathartic about it. Um, Whereas here, right, you have the potential for that, like you said, because you have this whole like dual, you know, blood and thunder fight that is, you know, harkens back to Ridley Scott's Gladiator, of course, um, and Kingdom of Heaven, right? These war epics that he's made. Absolutely. Um, but instead of it feeling like thrilling, cathartic, like this is good versus evil, right? Like mm-hmm. it is, it's just pointless, right? You're just sitting there like this is just brutal and pointless. Like there's no reason for this. This is two men who are, you know, use, who have found an excuse basically to, you know, work out the this land dispute that they have been having for for many years or, you know, again, Matt Damon not really an element we've talked about, but Matt Damon sort of, uh, the friendship breaks down after Matt Damon gets mad because Ben Affleck gives a piece of land to Adam Driver's character that he felt like, or that he was told that, that Matt Damon was told he was going to get as part of his dowry when he married Marguerite. And so, you know, again, uh, that, that, whole, men. that, yeah, that whole thing is a setup kind of to say that, what is happening in the end is doesn't really have to do anything with Marguerite, right? Even though this is all ostensibly all about her, you know, rape allegations, this is really well, Jean and Jacques finding the opportunity, taking the opportunity to 
do what they have wanted to do to each other for many yeah. years, which is just and look, you know, have an excuse to. You, you don't even need to be very perceptive to get that because I mean they point they 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 go to great lengths to tell you exactly whatever exactly mm-hmm. whatever things about in the movie at the end, which yeah. you know I go back and forth. I don't think that's particularly clever or smart way to present what otherwise are very powerful themes. At the same time, I recognize that Ridley Scott is writing and directing towards a particular audience of people, which uh, turned out in force in my screening. And based on other reports from friends who have seen this movie, uh, were equally well represented <laughs> in other screenings of this film as well. Yeah. For the little money that this film made. I mean, so playing it out a little bit more clearly might have been very purposeful, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, look, this isn't like The Assistant, for example, right? This this is a much more straightforward movie. It's telling you and not showing you very much about the themes. Yeah, this is a much more straightforward movie. That is what it is trying to be. And, you know, for that sort of more straightforward, old-fashioned, down-the-middle narrative, like, I think they did the best that they could with the subject matter. Well, it doesn't Um, have to be that. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be all tell and no show with the themes but yeah yeah it 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 doesn't but i don't know i just think again they're they're ultimately they're trying to make a straightforward mainstream like big blockbuster movie right about these themes and so i think yeah. there's going to be a, a necessary element of heavy-handedness that comes with that right to, in order to just to get this movie the type of scale that they want it to um i'm not sure how mainstream this movie ultimately is but i i hear what you're saying well obviously it's not based on the box office i'm not even talking about and the box was, office though like this is a medieval but, period but piece about rain. i mean they but they played they, they you know the it's it's really scott you have these big actors the the, the uh trailers made it look like you know it's gladiator again right like i don't know off the top of my head what gladiator did at the box office but i think it probably did really well um i mean look it probably did yeah, so I, I mean, I think they wanted it to look like a big action epic. Oh, I know, Again, a, I know a, how they marketed a blockbuster it. movie. Yeah, um, yeah no, I, I totally get how they marketed it. I'm just, I, I try to separate what a studio is trying to do, like what what Disney is trying to do, as opposed to what Ridley Scott is trying to do. Um, but yeah. maybe those things are inseparable at some point. Also, um, Gladiator did 460 million in, at the worldwide yeah. box office. So pretty good for for that Th- time, this film. But did one hundredth one one hundredth of that yeah. <laughs> this weekend, I think. Something and it's, like sad, that. it's sad, right? Because just sitting there, I was thinking, this is I wish that there were more movies like this, right? Like it's it's a movie for adults, right? Again, it's yeah. it's a straightforward, like big movie, but it's like it I mean, has yeah, this thing cost a hundred million to make. It has serious like things to say. It like it's just it wants to tell a good story, right? Above all. That is the priority. It's not trying to you know give you big special effects or serialized narratives or whatever like you know setting up a franchise or anything like that it's just they want to tell you a good story they want to give you some interesting characters and there's you know real filmmaking craft to it there is there's no denying ridley scott even at 84 years old has not lost his touch um you know maybe this is wrapped up in what you're saying i'm not sure how convinced this movie is and in, in just telling a good story i think this film is actually at the end of the day much more about telling you what it thinks about the story than it is about telling the story itself at the end of the day i think that really scott still makes a really interesting story don't get me wrong i'm just curious if what the film is really concerned with is just telling you what it feels about the subject matter which i don't think is wrong i just think yeah that- because again w- with this subject matter again like i think promising young woman should like you can't leave any le- ambiguity right like it 
it just like when you have well, something yeah. here, when you when you have a story like this where there is a clear right and wrong, right? Um, I don't know. I just don't think it does anybody any good to leave any sort of ambiguity in it. So I, I personally, I didn't mind the touches like when we go to Marguerite's story and it says the mm-hmm. truth according to Marguerite, and then all the words and fade out on the truth. The truth. <laughs> yeah, sure, it's it's heavy handed, but again, like yeah. they're making the point right, and like there there's no room for gray area here on this this yeah. particular topic. And I think when you're handling a topic as sensitive as as this is. You know, you have to be care- you have to be very careful about it that you are not muddying the waters any, and I don't think they do that, and that's one of the reasons that I think it comes off as successful. But yeah, that's just it doesn't it thoughts. certainly doesn't muddy its waters. Not that everyone who watches the movie will will even I don't know process yeah. the very on the those nose. people are lost causes. We we don't even need to go yeah. there. But uh, yeah, that's probably true. Let's talk about the cast, Scott, because we have really four lead performances here in a way um i, I guess if you had to point to to two one lead and was, two supporting probably yeah if you if you had to point to one well uh, maybe based on that we're going to d- differ but i was gonna say if you had to point to one who i feel like is at least the lead most important character in the movie sure. uh marguerite jody comer certainly the um, most important i'm not sure that she's actually yeah. lead in spite of what disney is going to push for her in the oscar but yeah, I mean, I don't know. She she does get a lot of screen time, but again, in the first two acts, it's relegated to, in John's story, it's like, oh, she's the devoted wife, you know, she loves him and, um, yeah, you know, supports him and and whatnot. And in in Jacques' story, it's like she's like the seductress. Like he has sure. this whole dream sequence where she like comes to his room in the middle of the night and. You know they they do things and um, <laughs> do things. he 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 like he misinterprets every glance right um, or yeah which is clear in know, the third act in pay, the third paying polite polite attention to someone as like oh wow you know she wants to get with yeah me. it's it's that it's that meme from years ago now that's like I think it's like the Willy Wonka meme or whatever it's like oh X Y Z person texted me back they must yeah. want yeah they must want to get with me. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, but then obviously in the third, in her when when we get to her story, um, I think Jodie Comer is given a a ton of room to shine. I mean, I personally think she shines throughout the whole movie. If I had to point to the standout performance, it is hers for me. But I want to hear your thoughts, I guess, on Marguerite, on Jodie Comer before we get to the Mm -hmm. dude bros. The dude bros. Oh, it pains me to call Adam Driver a dude, bro. But I suppose <laughs> he is. Though. I suppose he is. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you just, sorry, you asked me specifically about Jodie Comer or in general? Jodie Comer. Yeah. No. I look. I think she's really good. I do think it. Again, it's 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 part of the structure of the narrative. It is a real shame that I feel like. I mean, you say she shines throughout. I think that she's window dressing for the first half of the movie, frankly. Um, and I think that's intentional, right? Like I. Yeah, I think that's like it's the, you know it's again it's the Anna Paquin and the Irishman argument sure, almost yeah. in the same way. Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it is actually quite similar to that. And again, I think it's intentional, right? Like it is to paint this thematic narrative that to these two men, she is just window dressing to use that. Phrase she is again. property, right? This is like, the theme exactly. throughout the entire movie, right? Like this, she is, she is it not starts her own as person. a property dispute, and yeah. it ends for them as a property dispute. Yeah, she's not her own person, and the first two acts treat her as such. For that reason, I, I don't think that she shines through in the first half. 
um, personally. I think that look, she it's nice to see her and when she the few moments where she does get involved in those first two acts are, are good. But I can't sit here and say she stands out in the first two acts. And I don't think that was the intention of the movie either. But when you get to that third chapter, the second half of the movie, the third chapter and the final moments, she definitely comes alive, right? Like she does become the central character again. I, I, there's no I don't think there's any reason to go back and forth and debate about like whether or not someone is a main a main like a lead or a supporter or whatever. Like yeah, it's not an there's debate, yeah, no. it's not an interesting debate. And Disney's just trying to win social currency by saying they're going to push for yeah. her and lead. And again, like whatever, like looking at looking at Judas and the Black Messiah last year, right? Like all those people had a, had a complaint about, you know, oh, well, they're both in support. Are you telling me you don't want one of them to get nominated? Because like if you put Lakeith Stanfield in lead, he might not get nominated for the Oscar. Personally, I am fine with them both being in supporting if it means they both get nominated. Like, sure. To me, yeah. that's the important thing is, are they going to get nominated? Yeah. I don't really care what category they're in. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm the same way at this point. Like I'm trying to decouple so much from that whole narrative of like, is this person this is supporting? Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, it just doesn't matter what they yeah. are. Like, she's good in the in the part of the movie where she is meant to step forward and make an impact. And I think she does make an impact. I do think that, again, going back to this point, and I, I don't mean to have this come off as too much of a negative, because like I even said before, I think it's required of this type of movie that is being viewed by a particular demographic of people I do think that it takes away from the character a little bit to have her be so, I, I don't know, like explanatory in all of things. But these like people around her are just like so thick and like do not get it that it fits okay in the narrative structure. But like my like a person my like myself here, and I'm not going to make assumptions for anyone else. But like when I see Jodie Comer sitting here like by the fire or like in the corner of a room. And talking about how, you know, I, I didn't want to do X, Y. Like, if I had known the full repercussions or ramifications of everything that I'm doing, I, I wouldn't have done it to begin with. Like, I find that to be fitting and thematically the correct way to be framing the narrative. But at the same time, there is something that's like a little bit less satisfactory about the performance that she has to just say it outright, as opposed to really getting to act that part out. So I think that as rewarding is I found the thematic element of her performance. I found that the actual performance of those themes is, is less compelling than when, you know, we're just getting the story of her and she's actually getting to act um, out the parts, you know, for the first half of her chapter uh, of, of the film. But look, she, she stands out once she's allowed to come alive in the film in the second half. Yeah, I agree. I think she's, she's excellent in the film. She just has like a different, by design, again, I think she just has like a different look than the rest of the, I mean, than the male character. Like, she just seems yeah. like she fits in this world so much better. I mean, Adam Driver, yeah, I think he he looks like he could be a medieval knight or whatever. But um, there's just something distinctive about her from the beginning, I think, that, um, yeah. you know, she's she's meant to stand out in that way. Um, there's I mean, a she's real, gorgeous. Like, I mean, what else is there to say? Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely there's gorgeous. a real warmth about her character, too, in all of the narratives, I think, which ha is a double edged sword. Right. Because it help it makes us like her, but it's also like inviting, I guess. Yeah, it's it's inviting in a in a way that like in like an insipidly obviously, toxic obviously way misinterpret. I mean, exactly. Matt Damon, like he's just making up like he, he's just completely lying about the way that his relationship is with his wife. Oh, yeah. Like totally these these scenes of like, you know, 
it, it's 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 a completely different scenario. Like in in Adam Driver's narrative, like the most of the stuff that we see actually happened, but then we see it in a different way in mm-hmm. in her um, in her story. But like with Matt Damon, it's like there's there's whole scenes, whole moments of, of like them yeah. their relationship together, where it's supposed to be like, oh, look at how much they love each other. Don't even happen. Like it, like very pointedly when we get to her narrative, like we skip so much, right? Like it starts out with like um, the first moment that we get is like her, like right after they've been married and Matt Damon is like raging about the land or whatever. Uh, And then we like skip way ahead to when they are meeting up and like, there's like the handshake or whatever that, that Jacques and Jean have. Um, like we we skip a ton of a ton in the story where again in John's narrative it's like all this about their relationship and do do you uh, interpret that see so this is a question I had do you interpret that as those things are, happened accurately in the narrative if they're not being revisited they happened accurately the first time you saw them and therefore they're not being repeated or do you think that that means that those sequences didn't happen at all? Like, I'm curious because I, I yeah, kind of, I, mean, I didn't assume the same. It doesn't, it seemed like I had a different view. I thought that it just meant that those things happened and were true. I, I don't think that because I think that would just be so inconsistent with what we see of her character in when she actually gets to tell the story of their relationship. And I think if the, if those things actually had happened, then we would have seen them again from her perspective, right? We would have seen the perspective shift because I feel like we see that with so many other parts of the movie, right? When they when they want to make a point and show us that something happened differently than the way it is remembered by another character. Right, so that, that's what I'm saying though, like because, because they're showing you differences, they don't show you the things that are the same. Again, I have no idea whether I'm right or not here. I hear what you're yeah, saying also Again, thematically I feel like that would be, but It's a good question. I, I don't know. I feel like that would just be really inconsistent with her character like if we have these scenes like we do see for example when when he's about to go off to battle like the the first scene the first time we see it it's like Mm -hmm. oh i'm gonna miss you so much blah blah blah. and it's kind of like she says like very similar things i guess when we see it the the second time but there's just no passion behind it whatsoever um yeah again showing the difference yeah the dinner scene where they're with the mob like there's a point where she is almost like mockingly like when he's saying, I'll have to go to Paris next week. She's almost mockingly like, Oh, please don't go. Like it's like, it's so passionless that like, it's almost Mm. like mocking. And the, when we see it during her narrative, because it's just so clear that she's disgusted by him because he's, he's very vain. Like, um, you know, obviously he doesn't do anything as vile as, you know, committing, rape against her but in, in, i don't know in a I, way, I think the film asks a lot of questions about whether yeah, she was already like, being raped like she says at the end right like well that is true like that yeah from what we see of their sexual encounters there is an almost yeah there, there's an uncomfortable quality to there, it. but then to, to know, answer a question that gets asked many times in the in the third chapter of the film i'm not sure she's taking much pleasure um yeah in in the sex i mean that doesn't mean it's rape just because you don't enjoy something doesn't mean that it's rape but i think the film leaves it a little ambiguous about what the true nature of their sexual interactions are taking the whole sexual element out of it though like i mean he does put her life on the line like we've said in Mm. order to uh fulfill his personal vendetta right like that he has against Jacques. so 
you know, I, we don't need to get into like what is a worse sin than the other thing. But like, um, I, not, I don't. Neither think the movie... of them are are uh, people that you're rooting for at the end of the day. Let's put it that way. Ab- absolutely not. I think they're both very despicable in their own ways. Um, I thought for sure that they were just going to both. This is, I guess, mild spoilers. No, this is a spoiler. I thought for sure they were both going to die in the fight scene. Like, I thought they were just going to both die. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I feel like that would have been kind of unsatisfying if that had happened. Well, like, so I think that... I mean, it's it's unsatisfying, obviously. The whole thing is unsatisfying. Sure. But, like, that wouldn't have thematically fulfilled me, I guess, in the way that I wanted if they had just... If they had both died, like... Well, I, I mean, like, Adam... I feel Again, like that would have been a spoiler. cop out in a way. But like Adam Driver dies first. So like the 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 resolution of the actual narrative yeah. itself is resolved. But then like later in the evening, he like Matt Damon's character like dies of his like wounds. I mean, he got his it looked like his like femoral artery was like cut open. Like I don't even know how he didn't bleed out in the back like in the stadium there. Well, hold on. Did that I don't is that true? Because the the at the end of the movie, the like tight in in credit cards say that he like died several years later oh no 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 no. that is true i thought for sure that when i i'm saying that i thought that he oh, was for sure just gonna like die oh, later on that that was gonna happen. yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah like i thought that was gonna happen mm-hmm. and they were gonna show that and like that's my version of like they both die at the end of the day um because again like he, it looked like he got his femoral artery ripped open like i don't know how he didn't bleed out i mean yeah it, it's it is insanely brutal the fight again for a reason because they don't want you they don't they really don't want you to think that there's yeah. anything in spite like, in spite of like cool the psycho about that was cheering in your screen apparently yeah there are no paris hilton songs that played during the the duel needless to say but no. um but yeah no, i will say since we're talking about the very end i do think that the very last minute of the movie was unnecessary and totally a thousand percent i was like what is this even for i have no idea what it even was trying to say yeah uh, Again, kind of like I was saying, because I think they did such a good job of making you feel like, oh, there's not no one should be happy about what happened here. Right. Like maybe we got the best case scenario where Marguerite gets to live and she was no one should feel good about what happened here. And that that final moment just does have a sort of sour note of like, oh, look, you know, she's happy now. He died. She's got her kid. They're living in this beautiful place. Like, yeah, just not not necessary and because I, I think the rest of the movie did a good job of not going down that route but it does it ultimately doesn't like it's not a huge knock on the movie for me yeah. but uh, especially because it's does. so clear she's like so unhappy with how this yeah. has turned out um well i mean that is like such a powerful moment to me at yeah. the end of the at the end of the fight when he's won and they look over at each other like, like they're just looking at each other across the yeah. and it's powerful because you get the sense that like even after all this you don't know whether he even believes her right because adam driver is there right before he kills protesting him his and innocence. is, is yeah. like saying i'm i'm and you feel like matt damon probably believes him right like you you feel like matt damon is the type of guy who would see that and be like well why would this guy say this on the brink of death <laughs> Talking about in real life or his character <laughs> What? you know what I mean, John. Uh, no, no, no. But like, I mean, why would this guy say about... this unless unless it were true? And like you know, it, it's I think that's heavily implied because when she immediately tells him, his first reaction is like, "Choking." Is him. this true? And then he like grabs her and is like, "Are you sure about this?" You know, like he ja- he doesn't Jack believe Bauer it. on her. Even even as much as he hates Jacques Legree, he still doesn't believe it when she first says it. And that only when it like clicks for him that, oh, hey, can this use is my this. chance to like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can use this. Is he like, okay, now I 
believe you. But that is, and he, that and is he has a plan moment. from the beginning to have this thing culminate in a duel to the death. Yeah. Not resolution in the court. Like he literally, before Ben Affleck has ever even given his decision, he's like already appealed it or whatever. Yeah. That was like, well, it was almost comical the way that that scene plays out where Ben Affleck like gives his decision and then the guy like five seconds later walks in and is like, he's yeah. already appealed it to the king. Like it's, it's all like, like you said, it's all planned out. But like I said, I think that moment was just like so great to me because, um, Again, you don't you don't know whether he even freaking believes her after all this. And that is just like devastating. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that that part of it worked really well. And honestly, if that had been the last shot of the movie. It might have been close to a 10 out of 10 for me, like that would have been an, an, a fantastic way to end the movie. But um, we I, I mean, we, we've talked a lot here. Do you uh, the male characters we have? We haven't talked, I guess, as much about as much about the no, three performances haven't. here. We haven't talked about Ben Affleck much at all, right? Who is really just living Who's vibing. here. He's vibing. When we talk about the movie being anachronistic, I think this is one of the the main areas where that is. He speaks differently from all the other characters. He uses like four-letter words and, um, you know, he's just kind of gallivanting around. He's an overgrown child. Um, he has eight kids a, and is betting as many women as that on the daily. Yeah. What did you think about all three performances. I mean, yeah, again, Ben Affleck, maybe in specifically since we haven't talked as much about him. I don't really feel like we talked about Adam Driver either, but yeah, um, ben, ben Affleck, look like he's a bit part in this movie. I think that he has a role and he and he commits to that role. He's um, having fun. He's he's definitely having fun in his post on the Armist life. Uh, I don't know if this was pre J-Lo or not or post J-Lo, but Certainly vibing in this role. Someone gave him a hair and makeup uh, job and he was like, yeah, I can I can vibe with this before I roll off and go do whatever the, the tender bar or whatever movie he's getting like talked about for an Oscar nomination right now, um, which I think is that the like George Clooney movie or whatever. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think he's like fine, really repulsive character, but believable. Um, it feels like he's playing Ben Affleck in college. Or what I imagine Ben Affleck to have been in college. Um, also, maybe after college as well for a bit. But I think he's good. Adam Driver is so good. I mean, like, I don't think he's amazing in this in this movie or this character is not particularly amazing. Ultimately, again, like they all have their own roles. I don't want to talk about lead supporting, but it does feel like when push comes to shove in the second half of the movie, he, he is not a main character. It is very much a, a story between Marguerite and and Jean de Carouge um, in the second half. And so I do think that he takes a step back a little bit, but I think that in, in his chapter of the film, and then as a supporting character in the other parts, I think that he stands out quite a bit. And I think again, just sort of cements that the guy can do literally anything. He's, he's fantastic. I can't wait to see him in a very different, a Ridley Scott movie at Thanksgiving um, at house of Gucci, where I think he'll be leaning even heavier into the absurd than parts of this movie did. But I think he's awesome. Matt Damon, man, what a weird year for Matt Damon. I don't know if I have too much more to add. A great Damon year. Weirdly, a great Damon year. Like he's giving yeah. he's given two great performances, two really great movies, in my opinion. Um, kind of came out. Unfortunately, of nowhere, not, neither movie leaves 2021. Not, neither film leaves a particularly good taste in my mouth for Matt Damon. Um, not because of the quality of the performance, but just like, man, he he went for something different in 
the last couple performances did, which nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with going for something different. Um, I just like can't untangle. I feel like so many of the things that he's done this year with like some of the real world news about him and um, which we don't need to get into, but I just <laughs> I find him difficult to uncouple and all these people talking about how he's cast against type. I'm like, how cast against type is he um, in these roles? I think to some degree he is, but to other degrees, I'm, I'm not sure how, how far afield it is in some ways, but certainly in others it is, or at least I hope it is. Yeah. I mean, I think all the performances are, are great again, because I think of the nuance that they have to add in the different parts of the movie, like particularly again, that stuff in the house that happens between Jody Comer and Adam driver, like even like when he first comes in, he's giving like his, you know, plea of why he, I love lo- he yeah. loves her or whatever. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's barely noticeable, but they like, there's just like a, when during her perspective, again, there's like a, he, his heart, it just isn't as much in it. Um, in when she's seeing it, like from her perspective, from the truth, right? Like there's just, there's a lack. Cause like in his, again, in his perspective, he sees himself as like the but, yeah. romantic, yeah you know, hero or whatever. He's sweeping her off her feet. Um, it's more gentle. And, yeah. But it's, again, it's so like, it's just, it's barely noticeable. And in a way that like really works for me. And I think is like really high level acting, like to be able to sure. just barely tweak it enough to where yeah. you can still discern it, but it's not like, definitely you're not painting with broad strokes, um, which wouldn't have been as effective. So I, I think, from all parties that is that is very impressive yeah i think matt damon is weirdly really perfect for this role as like the vain dude who sees himself as the good guy really in all these scenarios i mean like i I, i'm making too much of a a generalization about you know matt damon probably but like i i think i think he's played this type of role maybe before but i mean um, i mean frankly the departed yeah i mean yeah it's very it's very similar type character yeah, that's a good example. But I, I mean, I think I think they're all really great in their own way. Like, I, I think Affleck's performance is is fun too. I like the anachronistic feel of that. Um, maybe we just have a very incorrect perspective on the on the 14th century. Maybe this is not anachronistic. Maybe this is like <laughs> yeah, straight, maybe, on, straight so, on vibes yeah. for the 14th century. Uh, maybe so, but um, yeah, I mean, and there are other moments obviously that feel like that though too, outside of his character, like obviously the whole trial sequence of like you can't get pregnant if you're raped right is directly like what todd aiken said or whatever uh, well, well there, there's so many parts on that note there's so many parts of the last 30 to 45 minutes of the movie the fact that, that she calls sort of... him handsome right like the fact that she buys the dress that is low cut like the those i feel like are more modern touches that they're clearly trying to put on this to talk about oh well here are the excuses that are often given in that's it yeah that's know, exactly what I was why say. it there's, happened to a woman yeah there's a lot not and we're not just talking about like two or three like you list you rattled off a few right there there's even more i'd say than that there's like several handfuls almost of these so, some are more show others are more expository um i think the low-cut dress is a really great example of one but like they, they feel so out of place in in this in this setting and who knows if it's authentic or not it's not right this is based on a 2004 novel that's like just an it's just a novel it's 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 historical fiction it's not real guys sorry to break it to you um but i do think that it is it's interesting it's a bit 
uh, it, it, rem- it takes you a bit out of the the period piece of it all, the periodness of it all. But I still I still appreciate that. I think because yeah, I think because again, they, you need those direct connections. I think yeah, and they set it up to where it's like this isn't clearly from the very beginning. This isn't a strict like period drama. Like even I don't before know what you're we get to that man. stuff, word yeah. for word, straight from the Bible. This is coming from totally. Um, so I, I think they do a, a good job there. I, I, something that I liked that uh, Katie Walsh said about the movie was the that critic from the uh, Times. Yeah, is that. Uh, she said, well, it, you know, some people have been saying, oh, the movie still feels so relevant. Maybe it's not that it feels so relevant. It's that it's look at how much we have regressed. Um, so I think that's a that's a perspective on it that I think is interesting, too. Like we're commenting on, oh, they added all these things in to make it feel more relevant. Who knows? Right. Like maybe maybe we just have people progressed. were saying this stuff in the 14th sure. century and we're still saying it today right like maybe maybe it's not that we're trying to install modern stuff well, in it well the, the we sentiment might we'll the know. sentiment might be the same but the the fr- and look this is inevitable right this movie is being written in the 21st century yeah. the phrase being written sure, in the 14th yeah. century but the fr- the phraseology certainly harkens to yeah, to modern context but the sentiments absolutely the sentiments might be the same mm-hmm yeah. Um, anything else you want to say, Scott? Um, I guess the one other point I want to add, I, I, I do like the way that like Adam Driver's whole explanation of the whole thing. Again, another moment I felt like was pretty nuanced of him saying, "Oh, well, she put up the customary protests, right?" Like he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't like. He denies that it happens. It's that he doesn't even see what he did as rape, um, which I feel like is a layered take on it and and then the, for ben, ben affleck yeah. to be like deny deny deny, deny, deny. deny. yeah the trump the trump language like, oh whatever. my god but i thought that that was i thought that that was well done like i think you know his his take on the whole situation is again pretty layered i think in the way that i wasn't necessarily expecting adam driver is one of the best current actors in hollywood what can i say I would have to agree with you. I would. Um, all right. I think we could probably move into the wrap up now for this movie, Scott. I'll allow um, it. What uh, What's your favorite scene or moment from the last duel? Oof, tough one. You know, favorite is such a weird word to describe anything um, in this movie. It implies a level of enjoyment that I'm not sure I really got out of any of it. Which isn't again. That's not. That's not a dig against the movie whatsoever. It's not trying to be enjoyable. Um, yeah, I guess I really did enjoy. Is that the right word? Enjoy some of the it, early. Okay, look, yeah, it's to- it's totally the right word. The movie is trying to be like enjoyable, right? Like there is something well, enjoyable parts. about watching a satisfying film, like again, a well-made movie with great performances, a strong story. Like, well, well, it, no, it I... is it is enjoyable in that way, in the way that watching a well-put-together film is. Well, it can the be subject matter. I understand yeah. is sure is you know not. But to get Sorry, to, to just make the point I was trying to make. And I do find that the the early scenes in act in the second chapter, Adam Driver's story, actually like find some of those like party scenes, right? Where you're getting to know Adam Driver's character a little more and his relationship with Pierre. Those scenes are, are quite fun. And I actually yeah. thought that they were going to be really distasteful. And I think ele- some elements of them are for sure. But I think that they're just they're vibing like I don't know, Jacques and Pierre and the boys are are having a great time and 1381 or whatever year it was um at the time and those were enjoyable scenes in terms of like the most satisfying or the most well-made or it's so hard to separate some of these things in this type of movie 
I mean, like, I just think that there is there is just an incredible amount of craft and and care put into the last the duel itself, right? Like, man, I was like moving around in my seat. It was very visceral. It was a very visceral. You don't know experience. what's gonna happen. Like you honestly absolutely, yeah. yeah. I was guessing. I had no idea. I didn't even know what I wanted to happen. I maybe didn't want any of it to be happening at all, which is probably the closer yeah. truth to it. Um, but the the truth of the matter, though, is that it's. I found it to be incredibly gripping, visceral scene. Again, sort of edge of my seat, almost like you know, moving around, like I'm trying to also be dodging the swords and and the daggers and the and the joust and the, you know the, the lances and the jousting. And I mean, that is that is filmmaking at its finest from Ridley Scott there. So that is again favorite scene maybe um the ability to do that and not lose the heft of that moment either in in the narrative i think it, it's easy to just make a a really great set piece like that and sort of forget your context and i think that what, what makes it so remarkable is that they're able to do that and not lose track of its context um in spite of the guy sitting next to you at your screening uh, apparently not not getting it but um yeah i mean that... i mean look I, I i get it on some of it because he wants her to live obviously like I, we all want her to like oh it was unclear survive. to me who he was cheering for i didn't know if he was cheering for adam driver or not uh, it was probably unclear to him too but yeah, yeah. no no he wasn't he, he definitely wasn't cheering for adam driver like the moment that he said yes was like when it was clear that matt damon was about to win sure. um so there was that but yeah i don't know i'm i'm with you it still feels i think i think he's missed a bit of the plot because... of this film yeah i think so too but yeah yeah um so one thing i want to highlight which obviously I, I think i talked about probably my favorite moment which is just them looking at sure. each other across the battlefield there at the yeah. end but one small sort of subplot that we haven't mentioned is jody comer and matt Mar damon's Marie. mom oh yeah um yeah, yeah. like well marie i think that stuff is good too um that's where the I fact that even going. she turns on her in the end but with matt damon's mom right as like sort of the old-fashioned harry like, walter i was yeah like the reveal there's a reveal right that that she was raped too but like this is just what women are supposed to do right they're just supposed to carry this burden yeah. with them and they're not supposed to talk about it um is an interesting perspective like the one th the one scene where she's like knitting and like cuts her like jabs herself yeah well she burns jody comer of like with like saying like well what i'm making basically is is pointless Fruitless. because yeah. like, you can't get credit pregnant um preggers which again it's heavily implied that probably the reason she can't get pregnant is because of, of him um it, sorry right? is that implied? Think? i don't well, know that was kind of well that was kind of my impression like i thought it was the opposite I, I don't, well, but she, I mean, obviously she does get pregnant at the end. I, so my, my impression. Because he had a kid already she, before with his last wife. Yeah, I guess that's true. That is true. I forgot about that part. I don't know. I mean, is my the kid Matt Damon's? But, well, that's what I was going to say. My impression of the whole thing was like, he couldn't get her pregnant. Of course, he would never admit that because he is him. Yeah. But then she finally gets pregnant because of what happens with adam driver i don't i think it's ambiguous i mean the kid's blonde yeah. in the end right so it's like probably matt i think that i think there's a strong implication at the end of the movie that it is in fact matt damon's kid because the kid's blonde yeah. but but anyway i think there's a lot of like courage and intelligence to put a character i've put a female character in the movie like that right who is unsympathetic um and is 
yeah. standing in opposition to to what Jody Comer represents and to say, hey, this is the way that yeah, you know, th- this is the mentality that I mean, I, I get on some level, I get I mean, she's not wholly unsympathetic, right? Like you do feel like bad that like this is the way that it has been like that. She she feels like this has to be the way, right? Like that his mother feels like this is the only way. But it, a lot of that is just the product of the society. But still, I, I think it's an interesting character to to put in the movie that is so clearly like. Like you said, it's you know very on the nose. Oh, like super here is the fem- here is the female character's perspective. Okay. It is true, one hundred percent. This is what happened. Um, I think that part's certainly brave. I, I don't know this yeah. this character of Harriet Walters' character who is having quite the run. I mean, she has she knows Jodie Comer pretty well because they were both in season three. She was actually her mentor in season three of Killing Eve, um, and now as a mentor of sorts, I suppose, mother-in-law. In this film, I'm not so convinced about this character. Not a huge fan of it personally. I found it to be, I, again, there. I, I'm I'm trying to piece, like like tease this out piece by piece because I think some parts are are better done than others. I do think there's elements of the, like I mentioned, sort of at the beginning. I think there's elements of this thematic delivery that aren't very clever filmmaking, and I think that this character is one of them. I think this character is like, sort of like the peak of on the nose and this character exists for one reason and one reason only. And I, I don't think the character is very interesting. Um, this character is this person who had a hard life and chose a different, a different route, but there's no nuance to that whatsoever. There isn't, I mean, there's just no nuance to it at all. I don't think it's clever to be like this person's this like really mean, awful mother who is bullying her, but like, Oh, she has a traumatic past and she took a different route. I, I, Look, it, it is but it gives it you is, the sense. It gives you a sense of the stakes that Jodie Comer is facing, like in this whole situation, right? Because she could, she could recant, and she will be safe, right? She will live a life, but her life will be a will might end up looking a lot like, you know. Can she recant? Is that true? At that point, I mean, I I think so, right? Like, I, I, isn't she given an opportunity, like in the trial, to basically? I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering it, but to like, it's possible. I don't. I don't think to, so. But to back possible. out of her allegation, but um, anyway, I, I think at that, I think she probably could have still recanted. Although maybe she can't because Matt Damon has taken it now too far. But yeah. um, but again, I th- I think it gives you a sense of like, you know, what what is at stake here? The two paths, and you know, the fact that she is the the rebellious nature of her to like choose the the path that she's gone on when generations of women before her you know have had to live with this burden again yeah Uh, i know it doesn't work for you but that's just i guess that's just my perspective well so do you like it's like queen queen's gambit-esque victory parade with all the women cheering outside the the jousting area I thought it was so. Eh. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not the best moment of the movie for sure. But um, well, well, for I me, I feel like you you have the one good or the other, about right. Like you have this character, or you have that because like that is just supposed to symbolize all these people who have who like wish that they could have been vocal about their stories of sexual violence, right? I mean, that's what it's like supposed to represent, right? 
like these women have the same experiences yeah, as her. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, pro- probably. I, I don't know. I guess I'd need to parse through that a little bit more. But um, I, the good outweighs the bad in that last section of the movie. And I, I still do really like the scene again with where she admits that she was raped and that. I, I don't know. It, just, it, it worked for me. But um, let's put a score on it out of sure. 10. What do you give the movie? 8.1. Nine for me, um, like I said, one of the best movies of the year. Um, highly recommend that people check this out because nobody has except for us. So um, it's it's a real shame uh, that, you know, movies like this are not getting made very often. And they're probably going to be get, get made even less often now after, you know, the colossal tank that this movie has. I mean, I don't know what they're expecting. I don't think they're going to read. I don't think they, they can or they should read too much into this because... I mean, this thing is getting sandwiched by just colossal blockbusters. Um, and frankly, the, the key audience for this isn't coming back to theaters very quickly. It's Fair enough. Uh, all right. That'll do it for our review of The Last Duel. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some casting news for Christopher Nolan's next movie, as well as a big new trailer for the next entry in the Scream franchise. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott scott i know you are itching to talk about some news for christopher nolan's next movie um which is going to be about the making of the atomic bomb and robert oppenheimer um and we do know some casting news now for this film and it's not a surprise uh it's one of nolan's regulars uh why don't you tell uh, us a little bit more about it yeah and i guess to talk first thing i've I've, I don't know. Is it a disclosure that I have to have to do? Uh, Chris Nolan is making his next movie for Universal. I do work for NBC Universal, but but yes, Chris Nolan's next movie is going to be about Robert Oppenheimer and the making of the atomic bomb. It's his second movie about World War II. His last movie about World War II featured a an actor that he'd used many times in the past in Killian Murphy. And his next World War II movie is going to also include Killian Murphy. I think it's implied that he's going to be the lead role. I don't know if I explicitly if I explicitly said that or not. Uh, as usual with Nolan films, the actual details of the plot. The lead so, role is the protagonist. Sorry, yeah, sorry he'll be the protagonist, and uh, yes. I guess Robert Pattinson will be will be Robert Oppenheimer. Who, who's to say? I just love this whole like meta meta idea that Killian Murphy's character in Dunkirk was Robert Oppenheimer. So he just like makes the atomic bomb and then <laughs> rolls over to England. <laughs> the multiverse. Uh, no, the the universe, the single verse, no multiverse here. Um, no, but yeah, look, I, I'm really excited. This is very much in in line with the you know one for you, one for me, Nolan type um, extravaganza. He did Dunkirk, which is the one for you. He did Tenet, which is the one for him, and now he's going back and doing another sort of broadly appealing, you know, war drama that's going to be uh, a char- like part character study, but also part historical tale about the making of the atomic bomb, presumably. Again, we don't know any specific plot details, but Killian Murphy's great. You know, I I'm a big fan personally. I, I I don't feel like he's been in very much recently, to be honest. I think he's taken a sort of light couple years. Peaky Blinders, I think, has Peaky taken Blinders, quite a bit yeah. of his time um, over the past you know half decade. Frankly, um, they're I think they're doing their final season right now, or 
they've maybe already wrapped filming. I don't know, but obviously, I shouldn't say obviously. He is the main character in Peaky Blinders, uh, Tommy, and he's really good. I watched the first two seasons of that a while back, and it's a difficult watch. It is very, very violent and very dark, um, but also very compelling in his character um, and his performance. And also, I think he usually does a pretty fantastic job with Nolan in the three Dark Knight movies, you know, the three Batman movies that he was in, obviously really only featured in one of them, but did have cameos in the other two. His role in Dunkirk. Um, has he done the others? I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Was he in any other movies? I was trying to think, too. Not recently that I can remember. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about Nolan movies, but... Um, oh, you were thinking about Nolan movies. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't think he was in... I mean, no, yeah, of course, he was in Inception. Old, old... Yeah, I mean, he's a supporting character in Inception. Oh, right, yeah. Um, But Over, Interstellar, I don't think he was in Interstellar. Nope. Um, but yeah, really, really, I, mean, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm like thrilled by this character, but when I see Killian Murphy's name being associated with the Crystal Moon, I'm like, this is gonna, he's gonna be a solid, he's gonna be solid. They clearly have a, a good understanding of each other. Nolan has been able to get good performances out of him in the past, and I expect the same. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's it's kind of like saying, you know, Bill Murray is going to be in a Wes Anderson movie, right? Like, it just kind of yeah. uh, barely registers as news for me. But uh, My, Michael Caine would probably be more like that, to be fair. But yeah. Of who who well, retired but didn't retire because I think maybe Chris he did. Him. Maybe he didn't. Yeah, yeah that's a whole. <laughs> no one texted him after he saw the feet, tweet fired off. He's like, no, 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 Mikey, I got I got another one for you. Don't worry. Anyway, I'm definitely looking forward to the movie. Of course, I do wonder, like what is his perspective on this whole thing going to be? Because I feel like Nolan isn't necessarily the type of filmmaker who often explores like big moral questions in his movie movies. And I feel like it will be hard to make a movie about the atomic bomb in 2022, whenever this movie is coming out, um, that does not. Yeah. Yeah. That does not explore the ethics of, the making of the bomb. Oh, sorry. Um, this movie's coming out in 23. Sorry. I think that was actually okay. announced. It's like a summer. Whatever. 23, maybe. Yeah. 22, 23, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it could be, it could end up being a very different type of movie for him, which I'm certainly in favor of. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's, there's not any of his movies other than following that I don't really like. So of course I'm excited for it. The question is what the time hook's going to be. Are they just going to do the whole thing in reverse? Yeah, that, or that not? is, that is a good question. He may have to force it in there, but um I yeah, mean, people said that he got it forced into Dunkirk, although I think it works really well in Dunkirk. But Oh, yeah. I mean, what do I know? Everything in Dunkirk works really well. But anyway, Scott, uh, I wanted to talk before we go about the Scream 5 trailer. I'm not referring to it as its actual title of Scream because it's ridiculous that they're just calling the movie Scream. Um, well, that may be just as telling as anything you saw in the trailer about what they're doing with it. The, yeah, the name of the movie is Scream 5. Um, but yeah, again, maybe there maybe there is a point to that. I saw someone pointing out that um, what what I thought was a good point. I think I shared it with you, maybe that like they are kind of that p- perhaps they're satirizing like Halloween 2018, right? A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, like these Friday the 13th, um, right? They did it with Friday yeah. the 13th 2009, mm-hmm. I think, right? Yep. Maybe I think Elm Street was 2009, Friday the 13th, 2010. But yeah, like Marcus Nispel made remade Friday the 13th and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like in, you know, the 21st century. Um, And then, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, like the tendency to just do reboots of these classic slashers. Um, Yeah, retcon stuff. Um, You know, we get a very, you know, pointed scene at the beginning of the trailer that is very reminiscent of 
Drew Barrymore's, you know, iconic opening scene from the original Scream. This time we have Jenna Ortega, but she's getting a text and, you know, you want to play a game. Like, it, it's very similar. She's in her home, right? It, it looks very similar to the opening scene from 96's Scream. Um, as much of a Scream fan as I am, and I am a big one, I love, I, you know, I really enjoy all of the movies. Yeah. I mean, um, we talked about it last year on our Halloween episode. Yeah. I, I was a little lukewarm on the trailer just because, I don't know, I feel like it's missing the satirical edge that I appreciate from Scream. Um, I feel like what's so great about the movies is that they, they're constantly finding ways to, to, you know, get a new angle on this whole, right, right, like, when you see the first Scream, you think, oh, this was really fun, but how can they keep up this concept of, like, a knowing slasher movie in the sequels? But they find little twists on it, like, each time. Um, and I don't know, I, I just didn't really see like the satirical edge very much in this, or, you know, the meta-ness of it either. Like mm -hmm. that's obviously another, um, hallmark of the screen franchise, um, in this trailer, that doesn't mean it's going to be there, like not be there. It's just a trailer. It is such a hallmark of the screen franchise. I would be surprised, even though of course, Wes Craven is no longer involved because he's passed away. Um, I would be surprised if, you know, that element is, is missing totally from the movie but um you don't really seem to get it from the trailer trailers there's not much of a comedic edge at all really from the trailer the other thing is it seems like there's going to be uh an angle that like the teenage the new teenage characters in this movie are all like relatives of the original you know woodsboro victims which i'm not going to say they totally did that in scream 4 but like uh sydney's niece jill played by Emma Roberts, is like a main character in the Scream 4. And I can't remember. I, I definitely am going to watch rewatch Scream 4 here because it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I feel like there might be other family members that of, you know, original characters that, you know, are also part of the movie. So I, I'm, I'm worried about them potentially recycling that element as well. But so it, it didn't leave me as enthused as I was hoping, but I'm still optimistic about the movie. Um, you know, the Ready or Not team is directing this. I did really enjoy that movie. You know, we see all Which of was our... very satirical. That movie was very satirical. Yeah, it was very tongue-in-cheek, yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Nev Campbell and uh, Courtney Cox and David Arquette are all back in the movie. We see all of them in the trailer, so that was great. Um, it will be... It's always great to have those characters back. Um, I wonder if they are going to try to do... Here's my bold prediction. For the movie i think we might see jamie kennedy come back as randy um obviously he gets killed off in scream too uh, but he's kind of you know a beloved character beloved character um from the first two movies i would not be surprised if as part of the whole maybe you know again satirical thing about how we're rebooting all this stuff um they also sort of do that you know, I don't, I mean, no, they wouldn't do a multiverse thing, but um, who knows? Maybe they would. Maybe that's Scream 6. But, that would be um, the satire, I suppose. Multiverse is yeah, all I the don't rage know, these days. I, I don't know. I just have a feeling about, like, it just seems to be, like, if they really want to make a commentary on modern-day movies, right? Like, we've, we've talked about it so much over the past couple of years about how no one is ever really dead, right? It seems like in these movies. Um, you can You can never really count out that somebody is just going to randomly show back up. I think they could do that with, with Randy um, in this movie. 
and that would be fun. I mean, that'd be fun. I, I, I'm a big fan of the character as well. So if that happens, cool. But I, I, again, I, I wanted to, I wanted to have that satirical edge to it. Um, and I, I hope it does. Um, but yeah, the original cast members coming back also Jenna Ortega, who I mentioned, seems like she might not make it past the first scene if it's, um, you know, (laughs) if it really is like the original movie. And then uh, Melissa Barrera, who we just saw in In the Heights, yeah. um, is another notable face in the movie. Um, so along with, you know, a cast of new names um, for of, of teenagers, which I mean, I think at the time that the original was released, like Matthew Lillard, Skeet Ulrich, like all of these people were also, you know, pretty uh, late teens, pretty new 20s. names other other than Nev Campbell, but because she was on Party of Five, but. Yeah, Scott, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you've only seen the original movie, I think. I did just learn that uh, a character died in the second movie. I'll skip that one now. I mean, were you planning to watch it? Mm, lukewarm. The second one's great. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. Still. Definitely, maybe on that. We'll see. I mean, I'm seeing Scream on Halloween. Gonna go to the Alamo. Oh, I order. didn't know you were doing that. That's awesome. I am. Yeah, I'm doing it. Brunch screening. Um. So maybe, maybe by the time January 14th rolls around, I'll watch Scream 2. We'll see. We'll see how busy. I mean, like, that's the thing. I've seen so many of the big movies already. Watch the fourth one. Watch the fourth one. Like, the fourth one is a ton of fun, I think. And it, you know, it's obviously the most recent, recent one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Any thoughts on the trailer? Yeah. Look, I was, I think my, when I texted you about this, I was just like, this looks fine. I don't know. Like, I didn't really, honestly, didn't really have a strong conviction either way about it. I have been insistent about this and I will remain insistent now. It is scary that this film is coming out in January. <laughs> January is That's a horror just... movie. It's supposed to be scary. Oh, yeah. Well, if the scariest th- the scariest thing about this movie might be that it's coming out in January actually. Yeah. Um that is that is a that is a danger zone. Um for sure. There's not been another screen movie that's come out in January. I can't even think of a movie that wasn't a sort of an awardsy contender that came out in January that was any good in the last several years. Hey, hey, let's put some respect on the turning, okay? Uh, sure. How about that? Um, the turning. What was? Do you even one? remember what that movie was? No, yeah, no, it was a horror movie yeah. that had Mackenzie Davis, right? Mackenzie Davis one. Yeah, and and uh, Brooklyn Prince. I think yeah, yeah, they were both nominated for an Oscar, right, for that film? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, had like a nine on Metacritic. <laughs> god i saw the trailer for that movie so many times so many um, times yeah yeah i mean there's that there was the grudge another horror movie that came out in january yep. uh john, john show may may his soul rest in peace yeah um, i mean look th- i do think it's a little different right because it's scream right like this is this has much more you keep telling it. yourself that scott you keep telling yourself that but the, it has way more behind it than the paramount is the burying this did. movie Let's in january when they could have re- they could have released it this year We'll see. We will see, Scott. We will see. I'm still, you know, cautiously optimistic. But that, that, all right. Honestly, think, in, in, in all fairness, cautiously optimistic is probably the right place for a Scream fan to be. Yeah. And if it doesn't pan out, we got Malignant. And I'm still riding that high. So I'll just watch it a few more times if Scream sucks. All right, Scott. I think that'll do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton2013 on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Check out my New York Film Festival top 15 list. 
Uh, and I am at Scarvy Dent on uh, the same platforms. Scott um, will have a film festival a, list in a couple weeks. In a few weeks, you can check out my top six of the Virginia Film Festival because that's how many movies I'm seeing there. Why but, not? Um, Why not? Sure. Uh, but yeah, you can find me at Scarvy Dent on those platforms. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediapluckpods. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, however, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, it's finally time. We'll be talking about the movie it seems like we've been preparing for for decades. Uh, Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of the Frank Herbert novel, Dune. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. Yeah.